Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm a failure. I just thought I'd throw that out there to start with. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, where are we going? I'm a failure. When I was 10, I was a failure. I was a failure again at 13. I was a failure at 17. And then again in my 20s, failed. Because I grew up in Michigan. Don't boo. I grew up in that state up north. Does that make you feel better? That's those of you whatever fans. Um, but uh, I, I grew up there, and if you've ever been up there, there's lakes everywhere. And so outdoor, you know, fishing, boating, that kind of stuff. And when I was young, everybody water skied. Now, you can, may have come from, from like Colorado and everybody snow skis, but in Michigan, everybody water skied. I mean, that was a really common thing. And so when I was young, when I was like nine, I was like, I can water ski. I got this. I didn't have it. And I tried a few times and gave up because I was afraid I was going to drown. But I remember when I was 16, and now by the time I was 16, most of my friends could water ski. I still couldn't water ski. And so I had good friends, and we went out to water ski one day, and they're out water skiing, and they're like, you're, come on, Dave, you do it. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm floating in the water with my life jacket, and I put my skis on, and they hand me the thing, and they're... They tell me stuff like, bend your knees. And I'm like, okay. Bend, bend. Now, now stay stiff. And I'm like, but I thought I was bending my knees. I'm so confused. And the boat would take off. And there'd be this, this moment when I'd rise out of the water. And I'd think, and then suddenly it all changed. <laughs> and suddenly my arms were out like this and my face was in the water. And they were just dragging me, and I'd hear, let go, let go, among a lot of laughter, kind of like what I hear right now. Uh, it, it's, and I went through that multiple times. I remember there was a Saturday that by the time the day was done, I was exhausted from being drugged behind a boat. And I still never water skied. When I was in college, we went someplace, and they were like, oh, yeah, let's go water skiing. And I was like, Okay, I'll try. It was the same thing. I don't know why. To this day, I don't know why. And I still can't water ski. So some of you are like, okay, take Dave on a boat. It's going to be fun. <laughs> but I'm a failure. I've failed. I failed at water skiing. I've failed at all kinds of things that I've tried. I've made promises that I didn't keep. I've let my family down. More importantly, even as a follower of Christ, I've let Christ down. And there's times when I didn't live what I believed, and I failed. And now here's the thing. Most of you sitting out there would say, yeah, me too. 
If you don't, then I'm going to feel really awkward, okay? So nod your heads and say, yeah, even if that's not true. But you failed. I failed. And so at times, it's one of those, we're failures. And those are the times sometimes in our lives that are those fault lines. And we've been doing this series that, that talking about these time, the times in our lives when things just kind of are stressed and, and it, to, almost to the breaking point. And we, we face those times. But those are the times when God uses to grow us, often more than we could ever have imagined it. And we look back at those times and go, wow, God used those times in my life, those times of pain, those times of sorrow, those times of failure. And this morning, I want to talk to you just for a few moments about failure and about working through failure. And what does that look like? Failure hurts. It's painful when we don't live up to what we expect. And that's all a struggle, but God transforms us. In Scripture, I was thinking, who, do, who can I look at in Scripture that's a fa- that failed? And here's the, here's the amazing part. I don't know if you've read your Bible. They're everywhere. Abraham, Moses, David, that's three big ones. They've failed miserably, epically, and they're in Scripture. And some of those people are people we look up to and say, wow, they are heroes of the faith. But they failed. Bad. I look at some of their lives and go, I'm feeling pretty good now. I've never done that. Nope, never done that. Never had an affair and killed the guy. Never. I haven't done those things. So, so here's the thing. I want to look at a guy named Peter. Peter has a, some moments in his life, and really there's one moment that kind of encapsulates a number of things. And it was, it was it's recorded in multiple Gospels, but in the book of Mark... Um, we think that Mark, a lot of what Mark wrote in his gospel was probably almost directly from Peter. In other words, Peter kind of shared the stories with Mark. And so this is kind of maybe even Peter's kind of version or Peter's kind of remembering of this epic failure in his life. And we're going to kind of look at kind of different facets of this failure or maybe even different failures all rolled into one big ugly one. And so the first part of Peter's failure, the first failure that I see in Peter is he was overconfident. Mark chapter 14, uh, we, we read this. Mark chapter 14, verse 29. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, today, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you, will, you yourself will disown me three times But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same. Have you ever been, somebody makes the grand declaration and everybody else was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, me too, me too, me too. What you see here in Peter is overconfidence. He thought he had it together. There's pride here. If everybody else denies you, not me. Not me. I'm in. You can count on me. I'm the loyal one. Yeah, these other people, but not me. It's one of those things where it happens all the time where pride goes before a fall. 
And there's part of us in sports, you kind of watch those games and it's like, oh. A few weeks ago, Alabama, the big number one team that nobody ever beats, got beat by a team that they should have never gotten beat by. If you're an Alabama fan, I apologize. If you're a Texas A&M fan, you're just grinning. And nobody expected it. It wasn't supposed to happen. But I guarantee you that there was a lot of people from Alabama that were like, this will never happen. We'll never lose. Some of you experienced that when that other team, the Buckeye team, had an issue a few weeks ago. I was going to bring that one up, but then people will be mad at me. But that overconfidence that I've got this, no worries. I've been a youth pastor a long time, and I've, I've, I've had conversations with students. And I, can, I remember very distinctly a conversation I had with a young lady. And I had just finished talking about dating and sex and, and you know, saving yourself and all those kind of... And, and we were having this conversation, and she looked at me straight in the eye and said, that will never happen to me. I'll never go down that road. When she was a sophomore in college, I got a phone call. Oh, Pastor Dave, I just found out I'm pregnant. No, I don't know what's going to happen with the guy. I'm not sure he's going to, I don't know if we'll get married. I don't know. And there was part of my heart that said, that overconfidence gets us. Because suddenly what we're doing is we're relying on us. And if you look at Peter, what does he say? He doesn't say, God, you'll help me. He said, I will never. I got this. Overconfidence. And that was really his first failure. I mean, that was just kind of one of those moments. If we keep reading that passage of Scripture in in chapter 14, we look at 14, 13. 32 through 41 says this. When they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returns to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went back, went away and prayed the same thing. He came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. This next failure, in my opinion, is inattentiveness. In other words, Peter should have been paying attention. He should have been focused. He should have been focused on prayer. Jesus is having this moment of agony going through this incredible thing, this difficult thing, and he looks at his friends and says, hey, pray for me. And they fell asleep, which tells me they lost focus. They were no longer attentive to, to to their Savior. They were no longer focused on Jesus. 
I look at my life sometimes and it's really easy to lose focus and be inattentive to what God wants for me, what God expects of me, my relationship with Christ, because life gets busy. You all should nod your head at that one. Life, life gets busy. There's stuff that's happening. There's, there's, our schedules get packed full. And suddenly, we don't have time to read our Bible, to pray. It gets so busy that we don't even have time to make it to church. Because life is just so crazy. And we become inattentive. And we don't focus on this relationship with God that we have. We don't foster it. We don't invest in it. And suddenly we fail. Suddenly that relationship disappears or it becomes non-existent and it just kind of drifted away because we lost our focus on Jesus. We kind of fall asleep spiritually. The next thing I see is he was disloyal. This is a long passage, so hang in there. Mark 14.50 says this. Then everyone deserted him and fled. I'll, say, I'll read it again because it was really long. And then everyone deserted him and fled. He was disloyal. Have you ever felt that way? Somebody's counting on you and you just don't do it? They expect your loyalty. They expect your support. And you're not there. Sometimes I think with our relationship with Christ, we do the same thing. Yeah, you can count on me, Jesus. And then we don't show up. We don't show up spiritually. We don't show up emotionally. We don't show up physically. We, yes, and we're disloyal. The last thing I see is this. And this is the one that we all kind of think about when we think about Peter's failure, and it's the denial. It's the denial that flat out, I don't even know him. Mark 14, 66 says, says this. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. He said, and went out into the entryway. The servant girl saw him there, and she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you are, from, you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. That's about as bad as it can get. I mean, and there's part of me that goes, oh, I would never, oh, back to that first one. But he came to the place where he totally denied, he even knew who Jesus was. Peter failed. He, he overestimated himself. He, he, he was disloyal. He was inattentive. And then he eventually just flat out denied he knew who Jesus was. Epic failure. Now, here's the beauty of his story. The beauty of Peter's story is it doesn't end there. Peter's story doesn't stop there. I was, I was, as I was reading and looking at some things, I saw this 
this phrase, this sentence, and it says this, failure is an event, not a destination. And for Peter, failure was an event, not his final destination. That was not who he became. It was just one thing that happened in his life. And so often, failure in our life should be an event, not the destination of our lives. Because those things God will use to change us, to strengthen us, to change our direction, to encourage us, even when we fail. And sometimes because we fail. It's interesting, if you look at Luke, in Luke chapter 22, Peter and Jesus were having this conversation, and, and it's kind of a, the similar kind of conversation, oh, I'm never going to leave you. And he looks at Peter and says this, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen the brothers. Jesus knew, and he's reminding him, hey, when you come back, when you come back from the failure, you will strengthen everyone else. So how did he get back? How did he, how did he go from the epic failure, the embarrassment, the guy who said, I don't even know this guy, to the rock that the church was built on? How did he get from there to there? Because that's what I need to know because I'm a failure. I fail, I struggle, I make those mistakes, I do stupid stuff. How do I get from failure to restoration? We can see in Peter's life just some things that begin to happen. So let's look at his path back to restoration. Because if we stop the message here, it's really boring and miserable and sad. But there's a path to restoration. The first thing I see in Peter is this. There's regret. If you look at Mark 14, 72, this is what happens. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. He was incredibly sorry for what he had done. He had regret for what he had done. There was something that he realized, I failed. You notice it doesn't say, Peter looked around and looked at the servant girl and those people who asked him, why did you ask me those questions and put me in that situation? Because let's be honest, sometimes when we fail, that's our first reaction. What, God, somebody else, you don't understand the situation. I, I didn't really do anything. But the first thing we see in Peter is this profound regret for what he had done. I had somebody ask me sometime, hey, if, if I accept Jesus and go through this process and, you know, accept Jesus and that kind of stuff, I see people, when they do it, they cry, and I'm not a crier. And, I, and I'm like, no, you don't have to cry if you're not a crier. But I'll be shocked if you don't have at least some gut emotion that says, I understand what I've done is wrong. 
and I have this regret that I have failed the one who made me, the one who created me, the one who loved me enough to die for me, and I have failed that person who loves me beyond measure. And this regret, this pain, this kind of comes out of us. And so really, when we begin to recover from failure, part of that is we realize I've failed. I've messed up. I've, I've made a mess of things. And I have to get to that place. It's one of those things sometimes, spiritually, I have to hit rock bottom before I look up to God. And that's true if you don't know who Jesus is. You, you need to understand that that's where you're at. But sometimes us as Christians, and you say, I'm a, I've been going to church since I was a little bit of a kid. And you know what? We still fail. And there are times when we need to look in the mirror and say, God, I am so sorry because I have let you down. And we need to get to that place because until, until you get there, you're not really on the path to restoration. Until you get there, you're not on that path. Because as, until, unless you're getting to a place where you say, I regret what I've done. I regret that I've harmed God or harmed the, that person. I regret that. Until you get there, you're not on that path because you're still denying it. You're still pretending it didn't happen. How many times? Okay, maybe you. I've done this. I know I've done something wrong. I know I've failed, not lived up to my beliefs, not been loyal to Christ. And I go, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Or, or it was, I'm not, it's not like I did this. Until I get to the place where I regret what's happened. I'm not really on the path to restoration. I'm on the road to denial. And you see here that Peter goes out and he weeps. He regrets. The next, next passage, we're, we're actually going to jump out of Mark into, into the book of John. Because this is kind of the restoration process. He starts by regretting. The next thing I'd like to point to you to is John chapter 21. As you're getting there, you'll discover that, that in that chapter, what's happened is this. Jesus is raised from the dead. The disciples are out fishing. And they have this huge cache of fish. And they realize, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. And they jump into the water. Peter jumps into the water and swims to shore. So excited to see Jesus again. And they're having breakfast. And after breakfast, there's this exchange that happens between Jesus and Peter. Look at it in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. It says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. 
You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The next thing I see on this path is humility. As I was, as I was looking at this, do you realize that there was never this exchange between Peter and Jesus where Peter says, I'm really, really sorry. Please forgive me. Do you realize that there's never that exchange between them? This, for, this is the first time Peter and Jesus see each other face to face. And there's part of me that wonders because Jesus knows. Because Peter's already went, been through this regret and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus has already forgiven him. And in his heart, Peter's already asked him. And so they have this exchange that restores this relationship that kind of makes it all okay. And, and I, I see incredible humility here because Peter went from, I will never forsake you to, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Not, I'm declaring I love you. You know I love you. And there's part of me that I know in Peter's mind, it probably clicked. He just asked me three times. I denied him three times. And there's all kinds of Greek wordplay here and all those kind of things. And I'm sure maybe some of you have been to church your whole life. You've heard agape and philo and, and all those. Won't get into all of that. But what I will tell you is this. He asked him three times and you know those memories came flooding back to Peter. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I failed. I failed. I'm a mess. And he looked at him and said, feed my sheep. I, I trust you with the things that I love. That's forgiveness. And Peter had this humility. And for us, I think sometimes we want to go through this whole process and not humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do this without you. This forgiveness, this restoration, it's all on you, not me. I can't earn it. I can't be nice enough. I can't fix anything. Lord, you know. There's a humility here in Peter that we don't see a little bit earlier. And I think when we go through this process of failure and regret, there comes this sense of humility. There comes this sense of humbleness that I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. I need you. I need Jesus. Now, to me, here's the exciting part that happens after that. Because he says, you know, feed my lambs. The relationship's restored, but now is where the rubber meets the road, and that's this, obedience. See, Peter now begins to take a different road. He begins to obey what Jesus said and kind of what he was supposed to do the whole time. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. That little phrase may not sound like a big deal to you, 
But he was looking at the disciples and says, stay in Jerusalem where the people just gathered all together and crucified me on a cross. And everybody knows you're my follower. Peter, you denied it. But everybody knows that you're my follower. Stay there. (laughs) See, because I have this personal self-interest. When there's something really scary... I try to remove myself from that situation. Does that make sense? Some of you maybe don't understand that, but this is me personally. If there's a big bear in a room, and I'm in that room with a big bear who's probably going to kill me, I would like to leave the room. The disciples were in Jerusalem where they had just watched the one they followed, the one they served, the one they spent the last three years with, killed horribly on a cross. And now they hear, stay there. Some of you have struggled through a failure and, and you got the humility and you're hearing God's whisper to yourselves, no, no, stay there. But, but God... This is where I failed. Everybody knows that I've messed up here. Stay there. And there's that obedience that becomes because now I'm humble enough to hear and listen to the command. Now here's the even better part. If you keep going, you discover that Peter was now empowered. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come and we see Peter, the big chicken, who is afraid of a servant girl, who said, aren't you? We see that Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 41, they have this empowerment. It says, with many other words, he, that being Peter, warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. Folks, that's an awesome church service, in case you're wondering. Peter went, really, literally, if you're reading scripture, he went from the biggest chicken ever, afraid of a little servant girl, who said, aren't you a follower of Jesus? to stand in before at least 3,000 people and saying he is who he said he is. He's risen from the grave. He can change your life and save you. And that they're still in Jerusalem. This is the same place. You see, that restoration process to take you from failure to empowerment. And some of you, maybe you're in the middle of a failure or you're just... You just failed. And you're thinking, I'm done as a Christian. God can never use me. God can never do this. I will never overcome. Yes, you can. Some of the strongest people I know are the people who've been through failure. Some of the strongest faiths are the faiths that have failed and been brought back. Because if you don't walk through some failure, my guess is you're walking away. Because you're going to fail. But you can be restored and made stronger 
than you were before. Do you need, are you going to go through some regret? Yes. Is it going to humble you? Oh, yes. But here's the exciting part. As you're obedient, he gives you power. You don't have to walk in that failure day after day after day. You don't have to look back and say, oh, oh, I would love to serve Jesus, but you don't know where I came from. Jesus knows where you came from. He's still going to use you. He's going to empower you to do more than you could ever imagine. There are some offices at Ohio University that will change because of you. There's some places in Athens that right now are very dark. But if you allow God to take your failure and humble you and you obey Him, He will empower you and suddenly those places will have light. And that light will be Him shining through you. You see, the fault lines in your life, that may be failure. But God is going to use you and change you and transform you and empower you. And the question I have is this. Where are you at in that path? Maybe for some of you, you need to take a step back and do a little mirror work. Look in that mirror and go, do I really regret the things that I know I've done that would have dishonored God? Do I regret that? And it may bring you to tears. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're at the place where that humility needs to creep in. And you need to begin to say, I can't do this on my own. Because let's be honest, a lot of us Christians think, I just need to, I need to read the Bible more. I need to have more discipline. I need to, yeah, you do, okay. But really the truth is, you need to love Him and allow Him to work in you. Some of you may be at that place where you need to do the obedience thing. And you're like, I, he's telling me stuff and I know I failed and I know, but God is kind of tugging at my heart saying, okay, it's time to use that failure. And some of you may be in the wonderful place where you're beginning to feel God's empowerment and you're beginning to take those steps and you're beginning to see God do amazing things in your life and maybe the lives of the people around you. But where are you at in the path? Wherever you're at in the path, try to move it a little bit further down. Try, try to take the next step. Maybe it's to get on the path. But let me encourage you to take that next step so that you can be strong in your faith and relationship with Christ in a way that maybe you never thought you could. Would you stand with me? We're just going to close with a word of prayer. I want to pray over you, pray for you. And then as we leave, we're going to walk on a path, a path of restoration. Let's pray together. Father God, I just ask that you would be with the people in this room and the people watching us online, that they would begin to sense your presence. And Lord, maybe there are some who, would, who are at the place where they've just failed or they failed maybe a while ago, but they've never really regretted it. There's never been that sorrow, that anguish that 
I've hurt my Lord. I've hurt the one that loves me beyond measure, that loved me enough to die for me. And I've injured that, that person, that relationship. Maybe I've done that by injuring other people, but they've never went through that regret, that sorrow. Would you bring them there? And that's not something we can force, God, but you can, through your spirit, take us there. And God, maybe there are some who would say, yeah, I'm so sorry for some of the things I've done and they've got stuck there. Would you help them to now take a step and say, God, I humbly say I can't do this on my own, but I do love you and you know that. And allow you to restore their heart like you did for Peter. To wrap your arms of love around them and say, okay, my child, I've got a mission for you. I trust you. Let's move forward. And Lord, maybe there are some who have been through the failure and they've, they feel restored, but they don't feel, they, they, they're kind of maybe floating back to where they used to be. Would you help them to be obedient? To say, okay, God, I, I get it. It's not about me, it's about you. And help them to be obedient. And Lord, maybe there's some in this room who are obedient and they are just waiting for your empowerment. And God, would you help them to experience your strength and your wisdom and your help to do what you've asked them to do, whether that's within their family or their workplace or their school or, or wherever they happen to be in whatever situation that they would sense your empowerment. God, help us to be on this path of restoration because we all fail. But praise God, you don't leave us there. So God, be with us as we leave this place. Help us to walk this path of restoration. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.